0: Beautiful. It's good to see some very friendliness there. There were even a few hugs. That's very impressive. So I'm really interested in people, which is quite good when you do the kind of job I do. It's quite fortunate. So who really enjoyed doing that? Be really honest. A few of you. Okay. Brilliant. Who of you really hated doing that? Amy's been really honest. Well done. Good, Amy. We we love being honest, this church. It's good. We want to be family. You know, it's so easy as church to become religious. And it's funny, being religious isn't just about being in an old building that makes you religious. We can sing the latest songs from Bethel and have the best band and uh, kind of be as chilled out and kind of have so but still be just as religious because religious is about our heart. We want to not be an institution. We want to be family as church, and that's what we're trying to model here. So if you're part of the family of the church in the city or beyond, you're really welcome amongst us tonight, whether you're just visiting or whether you're looking. We love having you here, and it's great to be family with you. Um, Great. I think, have the children gone? (laughs) Yeah, they've gone. Father, bless the children. We're going to pray for them as they've gone, but they've gone. So bless them, Father, in all they're doing tonight, and the workers who are working with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight... Um, That might have been a bit religious, doing that like that. Was that? My wife didn't like that. Okay. Next time I get my wife to pray for the children when they go. Uh, We got uh, various testimonies tonight, and um, I'm really looking forward to hearing from them. I've been told, as I say, Mark, who's a lot scarier than me, who was going to be hosting tonight with his moustache, he was going to make sure that they kept it. um, Apparently, he and his moustache are inseparable. So wherever Mark goes, his moustache goes with him. I've had a really long day. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, he would be very good at keeping people to time they've been told they've got two or three minutes um, I'm going to try and be, I've got Mary at the back pointing at watches making sure that I'm good so um, uh, I'm making sure that those who speak tonight they know they've got to keep it shortish which is quite hard to say lots of stuff in a short time but first of all um, we've got three testimonies we've got John why don't you guys come up and sort of lurk at the front give John a round of applause whoo and we've got Amy. Woo! And we've got Tom. Brilliant. Fabulous. Um, and, uh... Are <laughs> they laughing at you, Tom? Oh, you got a wolf whistle, come on. <laughs> it's like the walk of shame making you walk all across the front there. Come on, you man, mighty man of God. Um... These guys are fab. I love them all dearly. And, and you know, the thing about churches, uh, all of us, we're all so different, aren't we? Some of us incredibly different. Um, and different is good. We have a different kind of life. God speaks to us in different ways. God uses us in different ways. We have different callings. And as, as these guys, they have um, unique callings and a kind of unique passions that God's given them. And so in the whole area of worship, they're just going to share <laughs> in two or three minutes, probably... Amy, uh, two or three minutes about what worship means to them in their lives. Um, I going to introduce you to John, first of all. John's a very lovely man. John, come on up. You guys might want to sit down for a moment. And you've got another round of applause. John's an actuary. Yeah. No, I don't know what that is either. And he's told me lots of times. Um, but um, John's going to share... John's an amazing guy, and he's going to share a little bit about worship for him. Now, I'm right thinking you were going to be running the bath half today, right? So we were expecting him to look exhausted and beaten up and kind of really kind of... But actually, you just stayed in bed. Stayed in bed. <laughs> you should have said you went out for a long run anyway. You didn't. He stayed in bed. He's going to share about sport, ironically, in worship.
1: Hello. Um, I'm John. You can call me John, Jonathan, Johnny, whatever, as long as it's clean. Um, I don't mind. Um, so um, I'm allowed to be honest, right? So um, sung uh, so worship is pretty difficult for me. Uh, I don't really connect with God that way and God might be doing a uh, work in me to kind of help me connect there, but I find that really difficult. Um, I grew up in church, so back home in Cardiff, I'd go to church, well, on a Sunday um, and kind of like sing the songs and then not eff- let it affect me on the Monday to the Saturday and go again on the Sunday. So I'm absolutely sport mad as well, so um, I do a lot of running at the moment, but you name a sport, I've either played it to a really low standard or, um, or at least watched it. I'd probably be able to recite half of the football scores yesterday. Um, so I absolutely love sports. So when I was a teenager, I went along to Christians in Sport camp. Um, yeah, we we yesterday, yeah. Christians in Sport, loved it. Um, and one of the things which they really kind of taught me was that worship wasn't just singing songs. It wasn't just, um, like, that is great. But for me, I find that difficult to connect. But worship is actually living a life that glorifies and honors God. And in their context, that was in sport. Um, so one of the key verses which I'm going to read that they kind of um, kind of talked about was Hebrews 12, 1 to, th- one to 3. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out with us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And this talks more than just about sports. To me, I can just imagine running a race... And like all this, all these obstacles in your way, and um, things like sin and things which hinder, so easily entangles you. But there's a cra- cloud of witnesses really cheering you on. There's like Moses and Abraham, just like, come on, yeah, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And and just fixing your eyes on Jesus, who's already run the race, already completed the race. Um, and so that these these verses really speak to me and kind of help me to try and live my life in a way that honors God, play my sport in a way that honors God. Um, something that I really like doing now is is running, although not this morning because I'm quite tired. Um, so I do a lot of running now, and sometimes I just go out running um, into nature, no, no music or anything, and, and just kind of, I sometimes see that as like my act of worship, using the body that God gave me to kind of just run and spend some time with him, sometimes pray and sometimes just think about stuff. And I don't think it's a coincidence that um, some of the best ideas I get are when I, in those times uh, when I'm running. Um, and so I think Christian sport and um, kind of maturing as a, as a Christian, learning a lot of stuff, is, it's about let's go out and worship. Let's worship here. Let's, let's ha- sing some great songs, but let's go and worship with our whole lives, with our sport, with whatever we're doing. Good job,
0: good job. Brilliant. Is, is Libby here? Where's Libby? Libby, do you want to just stand up? Libby, very involved in Christians in Sport. If you want to know about Christians in Sport and get involved, if you're a sports person, um, chat to Libby. Play for Yeovil, right? Come on, she's a rocking footballer. Chat to Libby if you want to be involved in Christian in Sport. It's a fantastic organisation, and we're really keen to encourage people to get stuck into it. Okay, um, I want to introduce Amy. Amy is lovely. Amy, it's not that John wasn't lovely. Amy is also lovely. Yeah, yeah. You do okay. You're going to preach. <laughs> Amy lives on a boat and has a bunny called Sunny Bunny. Need I say any more?
2: Sorry, I feel a bit safer behind it. I'm not going to talk for very long. I've got notes, so I won't go over time. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Amy. I do live on a boat. I've got Sunny Bunny. Um, I am a potter or ceramicist, whatever you want to call it, amongst general creative. That's what I do. I create things. I'm co-founder of um, a creative collective. So it's um, a teaching school, skill school. Um, I generally do create things. So you'll find me covered in clay or plaster or sawdust. And that's, I'm, I find myself happiest when I'm making things with my hands. And I'm most content when I'm, yeah, when I'm making and I find that in that I find peace and God really does speak to me much like running for other people um, <laughs> I don't run at all um, But <laughs> moving swiftly on um, yeah how I meet God in my creativity is quite a big subject for me but I feel I felt that I should talk to you more about how I find I get to know God through creating and I love to think about God as God the creator. I mean, I have good and bad days when I create things that I love and other things you think, come back in the next day and look at it and you think, oh, that is not great. <laughs> but God never has and never did do that. And I'm his creation and he's created... I mean, I create things, but he created things. And um, I find that just something incredible. When I make uh 40 mugs or 80 vases in in a straight run they may look quite similar to somebody else but i will know each and every one of them individually i'll know how much clay i used to make each one i'll know the form the shape the size and i'll know when i made it and how i felt when i made it so if one of one of you guys came into the studio and there was a line i would be able to pick one out and be like yeah that one i made two days ago and i was feeling pretty crappy and, it, and I would know it. And God, that must be a small glimpse of how God knows me. He could pick me out of a lineup of other me's and know me um, so much more intimately than I know each and every one of my pots that I make, or teapots, or whatever it is. Um, and it just makes me—I guess—I have a revelation of how close God is to me in that. That He, He's not far off, um, and He can pick me out. Um, also. Being a potter, there's lots in the Bible about pottery, um, <laughs> which is great. It, I must say, pottery isn't a holy experience. When I've made sort of 80 things in the freezing cold, I don't have a revelation of God like that. I don't think I've ever made a prophetic pot, although I think prophetic art is amazing. Well, I don't know that I've made a prophetic pot. It might, might have been. But, um, yeah, the jars of clay in the Bible, when I make a pot and I know it, I know its weaknesses, I know if it survives my kiln firings and the glazings and the next kiln firings, like that is a pot that has done some time, it's gone through the fire and it still has value And, and God knows that about me, he knows my weaknesses and he knows my chips and my knocks and where I've been knocked over and picked back up again, but in his economy those weaknesses and chips are my greatest asset and his greatest asset for me because I know he knows them and I can rely on him and draw closer to him in my weaknesses. Um, And I don't feel like that every time that I create, especially. But I I am struck by the character of God as a creator and how much he knows us as individuals and you guys as individuals. All your, If you were beautiful pots sitting in front of me, he would know all of your dents, your cracks, your... Saggy bottoms, <laughs> things that go into the kiln and come out the other end that nobody else knows unless you pick them up and look them under underneath. Um, so, but yeah, I guess that's really what I felt I should share. But um, yes, I do find myself at peace when I'm throwing sometimes, and that does lead to song, um, singing bad hymns sometimes. But also, I feel that being creative and I know that I am. that's part of my character and who God has made me to be, that that gives me peace because I'm stepping into, I guess, God's will for my life. I know I'm creative. I haven't always been doing a creative profession, but I was always producing stuff on the side. So, yeah, I don't know whether that's helped in any way, but thanks. <laughs>
0: I always think for creative people that, kind of, that there is that sort of beauty about you know, God is a creator. We're made in his image. And for some people who carry that kind of creative yearning to create and to make beautiful things, you know, Amy carries that in herself. And she knows what it is to have gone through the fire. She knows what it is to have kind of been bumped and bruised. But actually, there's that. There's, I love it when Amy said, you know, sometimes when I'm making, I, I start singing. Um, and I was just reminded in that moment, you know, in Zephaniah, there's that beautiful verse. It says, um, that the Father, he rejoices over you with singing. It's a crazy image of the Father, God of all creation, the God of the nations, the God who created the world. It's almost a, as a, an image of a father holding a child, you know, as a father holds a child and, and sings over the child. It's just, it's just a love song. It's not a song that's really important that the child needs to learn. It's just a sort of lullaby or a love song, this beautiful image, biblical image of the Father, the Heavenly Father, singing over you with rejoicing. At his creation. And on a good day for Amy, looking at her creation, (laughs) singing with rejoicing. You know, that's that image that the Father gives. So, creativity at the heart of worship. Something from within that rises up. Whether it's in song or in making a pot, it's a beautiful image of creativity and worship. So, thanks, Amy. This is Tom. Very lovely Tom. Come on, Tom. Tom's a student here studying something. (laughs) <laughs> on a good day. Um, it's business, isn't it? And stuff like that. Right. Mechanical engineering. Yeah. yeah, there it is. I knew it was one of those. Um, it was either that or maths. They're the only ones at the, the university that I'm more of. Um, Tom's a great guy. He's got a real heart for connecting with people, for discipleship, and um, just a real kind of son who's looking to pursue the father. And I we really wanted Tom to share, because um, some of you may be aware of the organisation called Just Love. Fantastic... Um, uh, missional part of the Christians on campus um, up at Bath Uni. Uh, it's a national organization seeking to really speak into the realms of justice amongst students and on, on global level as well, trafficking, fair trade stuff, fair trade clothing, all sorts of things. Um, talk to Tom and Beth. Beth, give a little wave at the back. There's Beth. Beth, these guys are helping to kind of lead um, uh, Just Love this year. We've had loads of people from St. Matt's who have been helping in that great organisation. Tom's going to share just about worship and
3: social justice and all that sort of stuff. I'll try my best. Hi guys, I'm Tom. Um, so I don't really know how to approach this. Worship through sort of seeking social justice. Because um, it's just massive. It's just huge. Social justice globally, locally, in my life. Uh, and I, I didn't really know where to start. So basically I'm just going to talk about how I sort of came to growing this and installing this passion in me at the beginning. Um, I hadn't really thought about social justice or seeking justice in sort of around me in my life and in the world at all until I sort of came to university Um, and I got involved with Just Love, which Tim mentioned, which is really all about getting students to seek that biblical calling to social justice. Um, And I went along like, okay, let's see what this is like. Um, You know, some people from my church go, chance to meet some people. You know, it would be a good time. And I went along and it sort of just blew me away because I was like, how have I not seen this before? Because throughout scripture, Jesus is walking around and who does he talk to? Who, who, who does he get involved with? He gets involved with the poor, the people, the widows, the people who are cast out by society, you know. They're left just outside of the circle and ignored and, and Jesus goes out and loves them. And to me, that, that's, that's social justice. That's seeking justice. You know? I used—I mean, it's so easy just to walk... In Bath, there's there's so many homeless people. um, And and people begging. And it's so easy to walk by and try and avoid eye contact because you're like, this is awkward. I I don't want to see that. It's it's horrible to look at. And it is. But the thing is, talking to them, the thing which they really appreciate is people who do make contact, eye contact, people who come and talk to them. So we go and give food and drink and chat to them um, on Sunday evenings quite often, And, you know, the amount of times they've said, yeah, thanks, the food was great, but you know what, actually, someone talking to me and treating me as a human being was the most powerful thing. And and that was just like, wow, treating people how they're meant to be treated as humans and how Jesus treated them. And so uh, I struggle, you know, yeah, some people would don't understand the concept of seeking social justice, and I don't understand that because that's what Jesus did in his life, if you look at me, if I, if I look at it and look at the scripture, um, but yeah, so that, that sort of got me into it, and especially the homeless part of it, and then looking at the rest of it, I mean, wow, we're called to be stewards over this earth, and how do we do that? Um, that's a crazy calling, I mean, look at look what's going on, like, you know, with global warming and and everything, and like, you know, modern day slavery is still a huge thing, and, and um Human trafficking, and it's it's crazy when you look at the statistics. And you know, how can we be impacting these things? And um, I think because God's put that sort of passion on my heart, that's a form of me worshiping. Um, he's put it on my heart, and, and and me coming to it and trying to sow into that and seek His glory in it is part of as part of my worshiping. And uh, so that's sort of mainly. It. I'm just gonna yeah read a quick verse which just love. Like to use because I think it's pretty cool. Um, from Jeremiah 22, verse 3, and it says, This is what the Lord says Be fair minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. I mean, it's just, it's in here. Like, you see it with Jesus' life. Um, just loving others. And to be honest, that's what I want to do, and that's what I try to do. I fail a lot, but um, to me, that's like my worship, seeking that justice, um, which Jesus showed quite perfectly. Thanks. I hope that was okay.
4: <laughs> um,
0: I'm reminded of that Tim, Tim Hughes song, sometimes saying, we, we love to, uh, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go. God of justice. And, you know, I think Tom used the word stewards. We live in a world as Christians, and there's so many kind of pulls for our attention. And, but but God's given us the world, and we're called to love him and love one another and be vessels of that love. And, and love without words, love which is just words, love without deeds, kind of looks empty, doesn't it? But as we, as we go and as we do the best we can in loving in small ways, And it may just be checking the coffee we buy is fair trade because somewhere down the line that makes an impact or the clothes we buy are fairly traded. Or writing to the MPs about trafficking or situations in the city. They may seem like small little things, but somehow they honour the father who has placed things into our hands saying, make a difference, go, be open-handed, make eye contact with those guys on the street, speak to them, you know, where it's safe and appropriate, but actually make a difference, be a bridge." and a vessel for his love and when we do that, that is our, that's a spiritual act of worship just as much as singing songs see the danger is we as church, we as his people simply sing songs that we sing our songs that we know really 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 well you know we assume the worship position we earnestly kind of put on our face I'm really connecting but actually, that can all be just a show if it's not in our hearts. We can worship in silence, sitting still, just listening to the music. We can worship walking down the street. We can worship in our workplace because we're called to be vessels of worship 24-7. I've said it before, but you basically have 100 hours on an average week to give to something. You know, 100 hours outside of church stuff, outside of sleeping. You've got 100 hours in your week your week. How do we make that 100 hours given over to God in worship? Whether you're a plumber or an actuary, whatever they are, or a doctor or you're a student or you're a a housewife or a house husband, or you're on the school gates. How do we give that 100 hours to worship God in our whole lives? Well, we're going to hear some more testimonies in a few minutes. And just as we um, maybe let some of those things soak into you, some of you here are really creative. Some of you have got a real passion for justice. Uh, some of you love sport. I'm reminded of that Chariots of Fire film. Some of you too, most of you are too young to know the Chariots of Fire film. But he was, a, he was um, the main guy in it, was a Christian. And he became a missionary in China. And he ran. And he says in that famous line, when he's running, he says, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. I think we're called to run. Whatever race we're in, we're called to run. And in it, feel God's pleasure. Whether that's physically running like John, less like that for me, possibly. But whatever we're running, we want to run and feel with pleasure. We're going to invite the band up. We're just going to do a couple of songs just to worship again in song. Continue to worship. You may want to stand. You may want to sit. And then we're going to hear from just a few last voices. Bill and Beth up. And uh, Bill is speaking on worship in the margins. Come on. Walk
5: How you doing? So... Um, I know how Paul feels now when he asks, asks, how are you doing? So I don't know why I suggested this, really, but uh, I'll give it a go. Um, So we've heard about different things. We we were going to hear about um, worship in giving, worship in music, worship in song, worship in sport, worship in work. And that takes a lot of our life up, and worship with children. Um, And then, so it just seems to me like there's this bit in between it's the bit that goes around everything else, if you like, and you could call it the margin. And we, we you know, I guess we're all very busy. Um, if you look at our diaries on our phones, we generally got lots of meetings. And the margin in our lives is often getting pretty short. Um, but for me, I found, I found it just such a blessing just to kind of recognize those moments or re- you know, taking that margin and making it a moment. Um, I was just talking with Ben, who's, who's visiting, and at New Wine a few years ago, Charlie cleverly shared a thought which has been a blessing to me for years, and, and that was to make your commute into communion. And I've been commuting to London, you know, for years, um, and, you know, you've got all that time on the train, and you can choose to, to use some of those, those moments, those kind of times of margin... And actually make it a time of worship, a time of, of um, uh, just sort of putting something around God or in prayer, whatever. And um, as I was thinking about that, I, was just, I just picked up one of the um, old Bibles in our house. And obviously, you read, I don't know about you, I mean, I read my Bible mainly on my phone or iPad. Um, but if you go with the old school, you know, they've got margins around them. And this really old one is over 100 years old. It's one of Carol's granddad's. And it's amazing. He's got notes on all of the margins. And um, I was just... wanted to... So this is... I um, just wanted to share this verse. A couple of verses, if that's okay. One... So do, do you think God... Um, do you think this is a biblical idea about margins? Can you prove it? I'm not sure I could have done it. But as I kind of thought, having sort of put my hand up for this, I thought, well, you know, I need to know it's in the Bible somewhere. So... so um, if you think about at the very beginning about Genesis, you know, God said, and what happened then? God saw. So he didn't just say, 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 say. He actually said, and then he gave himself a bit of reflection time and he saw that it was good. And um, if you look at Deuteronomy 6, it says, it talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and that's a pretty key verse, isn't it? So it says like one of the hinges that Jesus talks about, and it goes on to say, "You will teach your children diligently, and you will talk with them when you sit. You know, all these different points in your life when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you get up, and all these places. This is kind of you don't even realize you're doing this. this isn't a kind of quiet time place, you know, when you're getting up, when you're walking on the way, but these are the kind of margin moments of our lives. And then there's a nice one here in Leviticus. Um, I said, why I went to Leviticus. But Leviticus 23, 22 says, When you reap your harvest, you, um, you will not reap all of it, and you will not reap the corners of your field. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like, is, bad, is God a bad economist? Why, why would you not actually reap the corners of your field? And the reason is because that is for the stranger and for the poor. So God cares what we do with the margins of our lives. And I think my final point just is. To recognize that these margins in our lives are really, we can make it into a moment that matters. And, you know, we have these choices. I don't know whether you've seen the film with Matt Damon in called um, The Adjustment Bureau. I quite like it. Um, And I love this thing he says in this, you know, we are the choices we make. And it's not a Christian film, but um, I just thought, that's so right, isn't it? We are the choices we make. And it just reminded me of Job. You know, he he has all this bad news come flooding in on him, and I don't know if you can remember that you have got kind of Satan, um, who's talking to God somehow, and you know, he, he he arranges all this bad stuff to happen for Job, and you've got Satan, and we know a third of the angels are with him, and two thirds are with God, and it's like this moment. Okay, well all this bad stuff happened for Job. What's going to happen? And you can just you can almost just like this is a big time. What's going to happen? There's this moment here. It's like a margin in Job's life. And he says, "Blessed be the name of the Lord." And he turned that margin moment into a moment, a defining moment of heaven. I think. So, yeah. That's funny.
0: What I love about Bill is uh, he, he's a man who doesn't just say this; he lives it out. And often, Bills come to me and said, oh, "I was just was reflecting and thinking." And, and there's a verse of the Bible says, "Where deep cries out to deep." And we live in such a superficial generation in many ways, don't we, where it's the quick fix and the quick rerun onto the next thing. But there's something about he who dwells in the shadow of the Most High. There's something about dwelling and resting and stopping, even in those small little margins that Bill's talked about. It's a choice, isn't it? Do we just flit on to the next thing, or in that small five-minute gap we've got, do we say, Lord, I've got this tiny bit, I'm going to give it to you, this small air of my life. Because somehow in the mystery of god he's able to take something really small and multiply it and with blessing whether it's a couple of tuna sandwiches that feeds the, ho- the horde or our little five minutes that we think is so insignificant it's like the widow's mite but we offer it to god and say lord i've got this tiny bit of time i want to give it to you in quality and somehow god is able to multiply the blessings it's a great encouragement for us to give those margins to god okay um mary is going to come and speak on giving and she's prepared this talk in the last eight minutes
6: Um, so I don't have any verses I'm sorry Um, uh, so when Andrew and I were students we read a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger and um, it sort of set the pattern I suppose for our lives and when we got married um, we made a decision that we were going to give 10% of everything we earned to God and um, And then as we thought about it and discussed it, we felt that 10% net wasn't really... It felt a bit half-hearted. So we um, aimed for 10% gross, which is really good. It focuses your mind on gift-aiding. And then when we hit 10% gross, we felt that we should just keep on trying to give more every year, and um, either in actual money or in percentage. So every year we would try and just tweak things up a bit more, find something else to give to. And um, and we've been married 30 years, um, and we've sort of kept to that. (laughs) Um, We've tried to give our house um, to let people stay and use it. We've tried to let missionaries borrow our car. We bought a house so that missionaries could come and stay in in part of it. Um, And um, I, I suppose it's just been... At times, it has been the only way we've worshipped because at times our our Christian walk has been a real struggle and we haven't felt close to God at all. And um, we have given because we promised him we would give. And if you build it into your your monthly bank outgoings, you can't stop giving. (laughs) So... um, At times, it felt like it was the only thing that we did for God, and it was the only way we could show him we um, loved him. And I I think he's honored that, um, because he has never let go of us. Through those dark times, he has held on to us. When we started our business um, for a year, we had no income at all. And um, we had a nominal salary, which we weren't able to draw because it was a brand new business and we were just putting money into it. And we still gave a percentage of the money that we weren't getting um, in that year. And we actually said, we prayed about it. Okay, we can give her. We can give her. Huge percentage. When you're not earning any money, you can give an infinite amount and still give nothing. So we um, are married to an actuary. <laughs> so, um, so, but we felt it was important to carry on giving what our nominal salary would have been. And um, we actually said to God, in particular, we had some friends, missionary friends of ours, and we said, if we have food on our table, we will give to them. We will not stop their giving. Because... They are doing God's work, and we had felt called to support them. And um, I believe strongly that that is why our business is doing okay at the moment. As a business, we work with other Christians, and we commit to give a percentage of our profits every year. So that was nothing for the first three years of the business. But <clears throat> we give more each year to um, charity from the business. And we continue to give more each year ourselves. And um, I, I, it's hard to say because it sounds like you're being really big-headed. But uh, I'm, it's not big-headed because what I've learned is that um, I, we cannot possibly outgive God. We just can't. Um, and every penny that we give is just a tiny fraction. God gave 100% of himself in Jesus. So whether we give 10.5% or 11% or whatever it is, it's a fraction of what he gave us. And there are other things that I think we've learned through our giving. We, it connects us with God's work around the world. So we pray for the people we give. And to and sometimes we pray god we've got this money what should we do with it and he puts something into both our heads and then we give it to something and we get a letter back saying you know we were praying for support in this area and you think i can't believe it god is using the little bit we have to work in the world and and it just gives me a sense that that I'm part of something far bigger than myself that I can't really comprehend, and that is amazing. Um, And so it it reminds us that everything we have is God giving. It reminds us um, that he is working in the world, and it connects us with the world. And um, it, it just reminds me always that whatever I do, I can't possibly give as much as God has given me in Jesus.
0: brilliant you know worship that word it talks of worth and actually for us in the world you know money and our possessions and our value that we hold on to it's easy to hold on to them there's that clear biblical kind of verse that says you know where, where your treasure is there your heart is and when financial thing becomes our treasure we hold on to it because our heart gets trapped there but when our, we realize our treasure is in heaven where neither rust nor moth corrupts, but actually we can be open-handed because we realise God is so generous to us. I think what was really interesting about what Mary shared was in that time of when financially there was real anxiety and kind of real tightness, and yet they chose to still keep on giving because they trusted God's goodness. It's a real sacrifice, isn't it? Well, I think there's something there about worship. Worship is supposed to be a sacrifice, whether it's a sacrifice of praise whether it's singing our songs of adoration of of the good, good father, when all the circumstances around us tell us that God, is God really good? And you can hear the voice of the enemy going, why are you singing about a good, good father? Look at your life, it's awful. These circumstances, that's a real sacrifice of praise that I think is worth so much to the father. He loves it when we worship from a place of pain and struggle, and yet we honour him because he's good. For Mary and, and Andrew, as they were giving in that time of kind of tension, trusting god it's a sacrifice of worship and god really honors that so brilliant thanks mary fantastic we're going to finish with beth beth who's uh, kind of got a real heart for the prophetic a real star and also really creative in poetry we talked about amy and her creativity in making things pots and beautiful things beth kind of makes words become something of real meaning and she's often shared a few poems with me which have been just so moving and so prophetic and um, she's got something on worship that she's going to read to us, but perhaps you will share a little bit first. Thanks, Beth. I'm going to get the band to come up, because we're going to finish with some songs as well. So while well, Beth's sharing, the band come up.
4: Hello. I want to be sat back there. <laughs> um, picturing your naked now is really not working. <laughs> Sorry, Pete. <laughs> um, yeah. So my worship over the years has changed. Um, probably more so in the last three years I guess um, my worship started out quite as a lust of worship I guess in that youth of worship of just um, longing and desiring God and enjoying the moments of that and recently in the last sort of couple of years and that that's changed I've um, had the curveball of being given twins which is great but um Life as a mum is busy. I've got a six-year-old boy and, yeah, two, three-year-old girls. And um, just Bill talking about the margins and that, I really can um, relate to that. And my time with God now is um, just trying to spend that time and those moments with him to thank him and to bring that about with the children. And when um, Mary emailed me, um, I was really honoured that she asked for me to sort of talk and that. And I was just thinking... You know, you put a question mark about poetry, and um so I sat there and thought oh, I could come up with something really clever or really brilliant, and then I was like, "Okay, what do I do?" So I prayed in the little margin that I had whilst the girls were fighting over pepper pig and um and I was kind of sort of it was going around my head like how how can I worship without singing or um how do I worship in my day to day anyway so i wrote um I wrote this poem, which I will read or endeavor to read um, basically I'm learning that my state of worship um, can look different and that um, actually it's about worshiping even when I've got nothing even when I'm exhausted with the kids um, when I've been broken at times when I'm dry there's absolutely nothing there that it's actually even when I'm loudly or quietly worshiping it's what I'm bringing to God So I've um, named this poem, In Spirit and in Truth, that when um, we're called to worship God in spirit and in truth, when we bring our heart, which is our spirit, and our truth together, which is the knowledge of who God is, then for me that's my act of true worship. Will you worship when you cannot sing? Will you worship when you've nothing to bring? Will you worship when you just don't feel it? Will you worship when a voice says conceal it? Will you worship when your voice remains quiet? When you will you worship when you're facing a giant? Will you worship when you're under a cloud? Will you worship when you hide in the crowd? Will you worship when you can't see my face? Will you worship when you've fallen from grace? How can I worship when I cannot sing? How can I worship when I've nothing to bring? How can I worship when I just don't feel it? How can I worship when a voice says conceal it? How can I worship when my voice remains quiet? How can I worship when I'm facing a giant? How can I worship when I'm under a cloud? How can I worship when I hide in the crowd? How can I worship when I can't see your face? How can I worship when I've fallen from grace? Bring me your heart when you cannot sing. Bring me your heart when you've nothing to bring. Bring me your heart when you just don't feel it. Bring me your heart when a voice says conceal it. Bring me your heart when your voice remains quiet. Bring me your heart when you're facing a giant. Bring me your heart when you're under a cloud. Bring me your heart when you hide in the crowd. Bring me your heart when you can't see my face. Bring me your heart when you've fallen from grace. I will worship you when I cannot sing. I will worship you when I've nothing to bring. I will worship you when I just don't feel it. I will worship you when a voice says, Conceal it. I will worship you when my voice remains quiet. I will worship you when I'm facing a giant. I will worship you when I'm under a cloud. I will worship you when I hide in the crowd. I will worship you when I can't see your face. I will worship you when I've fallen from grace. Um, Just lastly, um, I just want to read something as well, that when I was looking at um, however significant it is, like what we have to bring, that God really just enjoys that. And when we let go, I've realized that part of my journey in worship is being able to like um, Tim was saying to surrender and to sacrifice in those moments and I've got a um, a computer that I work on and uh, on the desktop I found a quote that um, if Sam you could bring that up it's um, I've got this uh, on my desktop so it comes up day to day and um, it says let go but also to let God. And I've learned that actually in surrendering and submitting to God that um, that is my act of worship. When I give God um, and give to other people the gift that He's entrusted me with, that then that's my act of worship. And um, lastly, I just want to read uh, a part that I was looking up about the definition of of worship. And in Webster's Dictionary, which is an American dictionary from 1828, it describes it as this, to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission, with bended knees to daily worship. So I'll read that again. It says, to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission, with bended knees to daily worship.